All right, welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the, of the day, none other than Jeff Wiggins, Rebel HQ contributor and host of We Gonna Be All Right. Always fascinating to have him on the show. Top story of the day, Clarence, money bags, affirmative <laughs> action, money train, Thomas. I did not know that his staff got in on the action as well. Before I go to the fact that his aide received money, a Venmo payment from an attorney who was antithetical, argued against affirmative action inside of the same court. Before I go to that, here's the former labor secretary, Robert Reich. Here it is. Clarence Thomas must resign. I'm just a civil servant. <laughs> and if he doesn't, well, if there was ever a case to impeach a Supreme Court justice, this is it. For years, Thomas failed to disclose flights on private jets, super yacht trips, and stays at resorts. He received his gifts from a Republican mega donor, even though the Supreme Court has no legally binding code of ethics and justices remain among the least accountable people in our government. Legal experts claim that Thomas violated federal disclosure laws when he failed to report the free travel he was gifted. But at the very least, he's violated the public's trust and corruptly exploited his position of power to subsidize a life of luxury. Enough is enough. Supreme Court justices clearly can't be trusted to police themselves, and Chief Justice Roberts has shown little interest in holding justices to account for numerous conflicts of interest. The Supreme Court is facing a serious legitimacy crisis, and failing to hold Thomas accountable will only make it worse. All right, here we go down the rabbit hole. Once again, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is once again, once again, at the center of an allegation of unethical behavior. As a new report reveals, his former aide received Venmo payments from lawyers, plural, who had business before the high court, including one who successfully argued against race conscious admissions, according to the Guardian. Rajan Basit, who served as Thomas's aide from July 2019 to July 2021, received the payments possibly connected to Thomas's 2019 Christmas party. The new findings add to the ongoing ethics scandal or scandals surrounding Justice Thomas, including revelations about his ties to wealthy billionaire donors, and have spurred calls for new ethics rules. Richard Painter, former chief White House ethics lawyer, during the George W. Bush administration, and a prominent critic of the influence of dark money in politics, said the transactions were, quote, not appropriate. It is not appropriate Thomas could extend invitations to his Christmas party, and he could attend other parties as long as legal cases are not discussed, Painter said. However, lawyers should not be paying for his Christmas party. A federal government employee receiving money from lawyers for any reason, I failed to comprehend how that could be justified. Still, it remains unclear what the Venmo funds were for. But Patrick Strawbridge, a partner, at the Consovoy McCarthy, at Consovoy McCarthy, who successfully fought for the court to outlaw affirmative action last month, was among the attorneys 
who sent this same aid money through the app Venmo. Thomas wrote a 58 page opinion with the June 29th Supreme Court ruling against affirmative action laying out his opposition to the policy meant to secure opportunities for minorities. This same aid also received money via Venmo from attorneys connected to former President Donald Trump and another who worked on a case regarding the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. The new report is one of several that have put the black justices ethics into question. The New York Times also revealed a report on July 9th that revealed Thomas was gifted a Super Bowl ring from Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. Thomas also flew Jones, flew in Jones private jet to attend the team's training camp and sat in Jones owner's box for his favorite team. The revelation was part of a larger investigative piece that also goes into Thomas's ties with Horatio Alger Association through which he rubbed shoulders with the wealthiest Americans in the country. An April report by ProPublica also chronicled Thomas's close relationship with GOP billionaire Harlan Crow, whom he would jet set with on lavish vacations. Crow also bought Thomas gifts worth thousands of dollars, paid for Thomas's mother's home and grandnephew's tuition. Now, the grandnephew is like a son to Thomas, was raised by Thomas. So in effect, this billionaire paid for Thomas, Thomas's wife, Thomas's mother, and Thomas's son. Who do you think he's loyal to? You, me, the court? You have to understand the extreme nature of what we are being exposed to. And I think we have just hit the tip of the iceberg. There's a reason why the US Supreme Court has no legally binding code of ethics. A traffic judge has a legally binding code of ethics. A county judge has a legally binding code of ethics. Magistrate judges have legally binding codes of ethics. Every judge in the United States of America, even administrative federal judges have a binding code of ethics except for the United States Supreme Court. There's a why connected to that fact. There's a reason connected to that dilemma. How do you have literally the most powerful position in the world? You can overrule a president. You have this power and you have zero legal accountability. The only accountability that can hold any of them responsible on any level is the media. And the reason why you are aware of these, let's call them entanglements, is because of media investigations, not government investigations. So if you believe that the Supreme Court is able to police itself, is able to investigate itself, is able to hold other justices accountable to some standard, think again, there is no standard. All right, Jeff. The plot now thickens, what are your thoughts?
Well, this is damning in and of itself, let alone what has come out since the ProPublica report in the spring yeah. going on till today. And like you said, this is the tip of the iceberg. We're gonna hear more. Speaking of that Dallas Cowboy ring, I'm really interested in that. Not only how much that ring is worth specifically, but when he got it. Because yeah. he either got it back 30 years ago when the Cowboys last won their Super Bowl, or he got it recently. Now, if it's the former, that means he's been getting that money for decades. And even if it's the latter, why is Jerry Jones giving him a ring some 30 years after their last Super Bowl success? None of this is good. I'm looking forward to hearing more. Yeah, um, I guarantee you more to, more is to come for sure with this guy. A teacher accused of sending an Afro wig and white face paint to a student. Let's get into this story. Let's put up the institution. It is a hell of a story. Officials in Warren Township School District are now under fire following the filing of a civil rights lawsuit by the parents of a mixed race student in the New Jersey town. They claim their son was subjected to harassment, intimidation and bullying by his own second grade teacher due to his racial background. The family further exclaims that the student was retaliated against when the civil rights allegations were brought to officials attention. The teacher allegedly sent the seven year old child an Afro wig and white paint on July 9th, 2021 during the COVID-19 pandemic. When students were still remote learning according to the Daily Beast. The family's complaint reportedly says teachers had access to students addresses for the 2021-2022 school year. Denise and Kevin Anderson, the child's parents, state in a racial harassment complaint filed on July 6th that Amazon's customer service verified for them that the boy's teacher, Christine Raza, sent the items, which they call an act of intimidation. Still on the school board, let's put them up. Still the school board district and Jeff Haney, who was the principal at Woodland School in Warren Township, did nothing to reprimand the educator according to the lawsuit. While nothing was done to the teacher, their son was retaliated against and was forced to learn in a hostile education environment according to the filing. The Afro Latina mother and white father say in the lawsuit that as a result of this, their son whose appearance easily identifies him as a member of the mixed race community feels afraid about the learning process. The child now in the fourth grade also feels humiliated and intimidated by his teacher's actions and suffered emotional and mental damages for what he, for which he had to receive therapy and change schools. The complaint says, let me give you the statement from the school board. Let's put it up. The board of education and the individual employees deny the allegations in the complaint and intend to vigorously defend the case at all relevant times. The Board of Education's primary concern is the education and well-being of its students. Communications coordinator Shannon Reagan wrote, while WTSD did not release a statement, it did say that it rejects hate and racism in all forms, talking about the institution. Now, here's the thing, 
You know what I did not hear? I did not hear the communications director say, well, we've already launched an exhaustive investigation. And we have uncovered that the allegation at hand is not true. Our employees were not involved. Here's what our investigation discovered. You don't hear that, do you? You only hear a defense, that's it. A defense before an exhaustive investigation into an allegation of racism and actual discrimination as well as intimidation and intimidating act. These things are worthy of exhaustive investigation within the school system. Why do we not have that report? Why do we not have that information? I have more questions than answers at the end of their explanation, which provided none. There's a student here at the middle of this who has been adversely impacted. You see, if we're going to create more laws, create laws to protect that student. If we're going to affect legislative change, affect legislative change to fix what's happening there. But you will not hear a peep from lawmakers. You will hear barely a rumble from Democrats in the region. And so it is up to people like you. People like Jeff, people like myself, to bring voice to these uh, to these issues and hope that a remedy is a fix to the concern. Jeff, you know the story. What are your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> going back to what you just said about you and I and the audience speaking out on such things, I actually tried to give this story the benefit of the doubt to figure out why a teacher would do such a thing and send a wig and paint to any student, let alone a biracial student. And I can't come up with anything outside of racism, of course. I can't come up with anything as to why that school didn't immediately investigate it themselves and hold this person accountable outside of racism. Or just, I don't know, not caring and let things be swept under the rug just as long as like a lot of heat isn't pushed their way. So maybe we need to push more heat their way. Yeah, uh, and this will definitely do it. So we will bring you the updates, we'll stay on top of it and report accordingly. It is official, Mississippi racist, yep, officially by their own governmental standards. Let's put them up full mass. A new Mississippi law discriminates against residents of the majority black capital city of Jackson. We covered this when it first happened by requiring what the appointment of some judges in a state where most judges are actually elected. Remember we told you about their two tier justice system. The US Justice Department said in court papers filed on Wednesday. The department said in its court filings that the Mississippi law violates the US Constitution's equal protection guarantee. The DOJ is seeking to join federal lawsuit, the a federal lawsuit the NAACP filed against the state shortly after that guy. Republican Governor Tate Reeves signed the law. It was in April. Kristen Clark, the department's assistant AG for civil rights, said in a statement, Mississippi lawmakers, Mississippi lawmakers created a crude scheme that singles out and discriminates against black residents in Jackson and Hines County. Clark added the law creates a two tier justice system with judges and prosecutors chosen by state officials. 
I wanna remind you of something. We covered this when it first happened. We called it out when it first went down. The state of Mississippi created a district inside of Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi is per capita one of the, let me say it the right way, blackest cities in America, okay? And what they decided to do is create a district of basically the white residents who live in one community, give them their own justice system, their own judges, their own police force, governed by the state, not by the local municipality being the capital city of Jackson. They took all of this power, revenue, the commercial district and tried to take it away in order to have a two tier justice system by way of law, not by way of culture, but by way of statute. Let's put them up. Uh, the individual, now this is gonna be interesting. The law creates a court, a new court in part of Jackson with prosecutors appointed by the Mississippi Attorney General and a judge appointed by the Mississippi Supreme Court Chief Justice. The whole thing is maddening and insane. The law also authorizes the Chief Justice to appoint four other judges to work alongside the four elected circuit court judges in Hines, Hines County. Critics say the law takes away self-governance in Jackson and Hines County, which are both majority black and governed by Democrats, members of the majority white and majority Republican controlled legislature said they passed a law to improve the safety in Jackson which has had more than 100 homicides for each of the past three years. The law also expands the patrol of territory of the state run Capitol Police Department within the city of Jackson, state police in the city. The NAACP says in its lawsuit that the police expansion also violates the constitution's guarantee of equal protection by treating Jackson differently from other parts of the state. While the Justice Department challenges the appointment of prosecutors and judges, it does not challenge the police expansion the same way. Let's go to Derek Johnson, national president and CEO of the NAACP. He praised the Justice Department's actions and said this is what good government looks like. The Mississippi Supreme Court minus the Chief Justice heard arguments last week about a state lawsuit that also challenges the new law. See, Mississippi is your testing ground. If they are able to get it done in Mississippi, watch for other states to do the exact same thing. But if the Department of Justice can successfully stop this insanity that Mississippi is doing to majority black cities, taking away their power of self-governance and taking away their actual taxpayer money. If you can stop this, you stop it from spreading in the country. This is bigger than just Jackson, Mississippi and Hines County. While it is big for them there, it is also huge for us here because it could spread throughout this entire nation. This is how they do it. This is their plan. This is their strategy. They've been doing this for a while. I hope Democrats at some point get the picture. This is how it's done. Jeff thoughts. 
I wish this crew scheme that singles out and discriminates against black residents in Jackson and Hines County had to do with benefiting the people who I don't know, just went through this huge water crisis that started last year. Yep. But it's not, it's not going to be. They are trying to usurp power away from black people in order to do, oh, I, who knows what in the future. But it's not for the advancement of these people. It's not for water, it's not for rights, resources, or anything else, it's for power. And right. woo, in the future, we will see and report on some nasty business if this works out for them. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. We're going to stay on top of this. This is how you shred democracy. This is how you take away power from the people. This is how an entity known as the Republican Party or Republican lawmakers who said they believe in self-governance. They believe in localized authority. They believe in small government will betray those very principles in order to take power away from black leaders. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Hello. How are you? Good, how are you? You guys residents here? Are we bothering anyone? Don't I just have to hide. Don't talk to anyone. Sorry? All right, well, um, this bank is presently for residents only. So thank you for filming. I'm not giving you permission to film, so. She's not. Like, okay, picture of your license plates and forward it on. Hey, so y'all hear what I go through, right? This the third person. This the third person. I'm in my own neighborhood and a white person came and bothered me while I'm fishing. Another white person came and bothered me while I'm fishing. This the third time. She's like, oh no, I'm not giving you permission to film. This is my phone. I can film and do whatever I want. I study the law. <laughs> I study the law. Thank you. I'm sorry. Hey, well, well, don't don't leave now. Do you want to say, hey, do you live here? Where you live? What's your address? Where do you live? <laughs> This is unbelievable. Where do you live? Why? What's your name, by the way? Because at the next Karen. meeting, I'm definitely going to mention you. Her name is Karen. <laughs> wait, wait. Matter of fact, let me get your, let me get your, um, let me turn this phone around. Let me go ahead and get your. Oh, there's more video. Black man fishing. Here comes the freedom papers control. No, you don't get to demand freedom papers for people. You don't get to say, hey, what's your address? Let me know if you live here legally. You don't get to do these things. Well, not anymore, all right? Black people are free now. Here's the next one. So you live in the well, I asked you earlier, you can say, where do you live? Told not to talk to strangers. Who don't right. introduce themselves? I'll not introduce myself. I haven't been on the homeowner association board. We pay for the lake. It's a private lake, so if you live introduce in the neighborhood, yourself. all you have to introduce do is yourself. Who are you? I am John McCollum. That's good to know. John McCollum, where you live? I live right down here. Where's Where? Your address? What street? What's your address? Where's Greenwich Drive? Okay. Say that again. What is it? I'm not telling you anymore. You got it the first time. Okay. You got it on tape. You're recording. We got it the first time. And where do you live? Where do you live? I told you. Okay, that don't mean and I gotta you tell live? you where I live. <laughs> Who does that? You can break into my home. Hey. I don't know you. Police officers. And gang warden. This is the man right here that's harassing us.
Okay, there's more. Now here's the thing. So he walks up, he says, I'm with the homeowners association. What? As if that is a legally binding statement somehow. I'm the authority, we pay for this. No dumbass, they pay for it. Do you understand? It's based on the fees of those who live in the community. So you're talking to people that pay for that lake. There's more. And they called them. Like again, <laughs> this is this is the third time. So I look, look I, I'm getting famous off this by now. But what's going on? Man? I live here, and they keep calling the police on me. You got your ID? Yeah. See, and every time you you have your ID, like literally the other time, yeah, four times. I have a whole page dedicated to this, and so. Here we go. Again, I live here. People don't think I live here because it's a nice neighborhood and they want to bother me and harass me. So they call the police all the time. Insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a little something, something. What y'all catching? We got some, yeah. All right, all right, all right, cleaned them and everything. Fresh water? Yeah. But so, it's crappy. No, 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 it's not crappy. Uh, I said bluegill's one of the best eating beside crappy. Oh, you know, no, I like crappy too. But so. The crazy thing to me is that the same people literally harass me all the time. The same people. I'm Anthony. Trust me. I look. Where's look. the car gonna be registered? Huh. Put up the pictures full mass. Now, I'm not trying to tell this local HOA in Columbus, Georgia, how to conduct their meetings nor the leadership they should vote in. But I will tell you this, you see that person, the male Karen who walked up in particular, according to him, he's a leader among your group. And as long as he is the leader, he will likely cause significant conflict and controversy given his actions on that day. While I do not propose to dictate how you all run your HOA meeting, I will tell you this. As long as he remains in leadership, I will be on your ass. A black TikToker and fisherman by the name of Fishing Bay 2GA on TikTok recently went viral after recording an altercation between himself and white residents who questioned whether he was allowed to fish in a pond in the neighborhood he lives in in Columbus, Georgia, all right? Um, I wanna say this to the TikToker, very well done, very well done, all right? We have to document things like this in order to not only expose them, but to provide remedy, remedy is required. Thank you for documenting it accurately. All right, Jeff, thoughts? I'm glad you made it clear that it was Columbus, Georgia, not Columbus, yeah. Ohio. Not that. This kind of stuff doesn't happen here. Next time I'm on, Jordan's gonna have some story about something going down in Columbus and I gotta deal with that. With all that being said, I wish I was somewhere and they talk about something like, oh, the HOA president is here to address you. Good, I've been wanting to talk to him for months anyway. Let me <laughs> let me holler at him right quick to see what's going on. I got stuff to say to that dude. None of the money we're using to go in, never mind, never mind. Yeah.
that the Fisher in Georgia handled himself so well in that situation. Kind of seems like he's been going through it a lot to where he feels composed enough to have composure in trying situations. So good thing out of him. That's right. And let me say this to those who will say, well, why didn't he just tell him where he lived? Because if he would have walked up to one of the white residents and said, do you live here? What's your address? Mm. They would not have given him a damn thing either. All right, it's called rights. New York cops kill a mentally ill individual while he's eating fruit. Let's put up the picture full mass. Now an investigation is being ordered. New York Attorney General orders an investigation into the killing of a mentally ill man who was having an episode. Jarrell Garris, 37 years of age, died one week after being shot by an officer in New Rochelle, New York, after being accused of stealing fruit. That's according to Fox 5 New York. Garris was approached by police around 4.30 PM after he was allegedly seen eating a banana and grapes from a grocery store in Lincoln Avenue near North Avenue. After 911 was called, Mr. Garris was approached by Detective Stephen Kahn and officers Carrie Bird and Gabriel Shabri about food theft. The situation escalated when Garris, the victim, decided to avoid the officers by crossing the street with his hands in his pocket. Remember, he was experiencing a mental health episode. One of the officers said, "Hey, listen, you're just trying to have a. We're just trying to have a conversation. What were you doing in the store? You were eating the food?" Question mark. Shortly after, no answer from Garris. You're under arrest," said Officer Khan. Then Garris asked, "For what?" Coincidental body cam failure. Immediately following. The questions and responses between the officers and Mr. Garris. The body cam video then shows two of the officers attempted to arrest Garris and a struggle ensues as one of the officers yells to taser him. A few seconds later, the male cop yells, he's got a gun, he's got a gun. The video, which at this point appears to show Garris with a small object in one hand ends before the actual shooting, according to the police, Garris went for one of the officer's guns. Come to me. We've had officers tell us right here at Indisputable that they will yell gun in order to justify a killing. They've told us this off record. They've said it directly to us. They will yell the word gun to provide the legal defense necessary so that they can get away with murder. Now, why does that allow them to get away with murder? Because they are allowed to have what's called a subjective standard when it comes to killing somebody. Meaning, as long as they can prove that in their minds, they believed, they believed that there was a gun, even though there was not one. As long as they believed it was, they can kill someone legally. So they will yell, gun, when there's no gun. Now, when you hear the audio, he has a gun, it's very different from he's trying to grab my gun, mm. which wasn't said. This was part of the spin, ladies and gentlemen. Justice for Jarrell, all right? Garris died on Westchester Medical Center. He died at that medical center. 
one week after being on life support, okay? During a new Rochelle City Council meeting on July 11th, the community demanded that all of the body cam footage be released in the name of transparency. That's the reason we have the body cams, release it. The family attorney, William O. Wagstaff III, says that the public has been given the veneer of transparency by only releasing part of the video. The family attorney said, quote, we've gotten what appears to be a veneer of transparency. What true transparency means is releasing all video, all information. And they haven't done it. Acting president of the NAACP in New Rochelle, Asia says, the police are not the judge and jury and executioner. Garris reportedly suffered from schizophrenia and other mental health issues, according to his family. Reverend Jamal Hollis noted that he was having an episode on the day he was shot and criticized the grocery store for calling the police in the first place. It is obvious that the day, that day he was having an episode, said Hollis, the family reverend. I think it's important to know that when you own a store in a community and you have the community patronize your business, there should be some know-how and empathy and how you treat everybody in that community. I concur 100%. These are community supported for-profit entities. They have an obligation to that local community. There was a situation in Atlanta where a convenience store had over 70 carjackings in less than one year. They refused to put up cameras. They refused to put security on the premises. And then a judge got carjacked at the same place. Mm. No one knew about the aggregate data of that many carjackings. Did I make the news? Now, when the judge got carjacked, all of a sudden, we all wear damn near 80 people have been carjacked in less than a year. It made it to my desk. I called the chairman of the county commission for Fulton County at that time. I said, the store needs to have security cameras and they need to have a 25-hour security team in order to protect the residents. The chairman told me that he was powerless to do so. This was a Wednesday. On that Thursday, I made another call so that the store would simply enact security measures to protect the community. Nothing happened that Friday. I called for my radio listeners to shut down that store, and they did. We shut down that store Monday, uh, from Friday to Monday. Nobody could enter that property. On Monday, I got a call from the chairman of the county commission. They said, we think we've worked something out. On that Tuesday, they had a 20 plus thousand dollar security system and a 24 hour security staff at that location. Don't allow these establishments to tell you no. They are in your community, all right, doors. Okay, dear brother, this is once again another element of our cause and effect of how we deal with those experiencing a mental health crisis and the responsibility needed 
from not only law enforcement, but also private entities that benefit from the community. What say you? I'm glad you gave us detail about that last item that you presented because I'm, it kind of gives me hope, but it's kind of also infuriating that it had to come to that to yep. where now there's suddenly not only funding, but know-how in order to get the, uh, the necessary infrastructure to keep people safe. So with that said, as you alluded to earlier, when it comes to he's got a gun, never mind the fact that they didn't say he's trying to take my gun, he's got a gun. The same thing is said when it comes to resisting arrest. He's resisting, yep. say it out loud a few times, then they can do what they can to do in the first place. No de-escalation techniques, none of that. Going straight to what they know how to do, which is brutality in this situation. Yeah, and many are saying, well, it was obvious he was having a mental health issue. Uh, this was not someone trying to commit crimes against humanity. We will follow this story, bring you updates as it comes. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. It has happened. I knew it was going to. A member of the Congress, Democrat, Democratic representative. Well, he gives Matt Gates business. Here it is. Every day, our military grows more diverse, more and more reflecting the diversity of our nation. This amendment does nothing to address the recruitment shortfalls that our services are facing. And instead, it will only make it more difficult to recruit Americans on diverse backgrounds, representing the true makeup of our nation. What are you so afraid of? Why do you keep bringing these divisive issues to the body of this floor? You are out of order. You are exhausting. The gentleman is no longer recognized. The gentleman is no longer recognized. We recognize the gentleman. It's okay. It's all right. Y'all don't have to recognize him. We recognize him. Put him up. That's called the people's champ. Democratic representative Stephen Horsford's temper um, went to what I call a righteous indignation level during the US House debate Thursday night over a GOP introduced amendment to a military spending bill that would scrub diversity, equity, and inclusion programs from the United States Defense Department. The Nevada Democrat singled out Gates with his support of the amendment. Let's put up Gates. There he is, that guy who supports all things racist these days. Congress's decades long streak of bipartisan support for his annual defense policy and spending plan collapsed Friday after House Republicans rammed through the most conservative National Defense Authorization Act in decades, restricting military personnel's access to reproductive care and diversity protections. And imperiling lawmakers' broader effort to set major national security protocols. Republicans maintain a narrow majority in the House, voted late into the night, Thursday, approving amendments to the NDAA that rolled back Pentagon policies that allow service women to travel out of state to obtain an abortion, and that fund diversity, equity, and inclusion programs operated through the Department of Defense. They also added prohibitions on specialized healthcare sought by transgender troops or members of their families. All were non-starters for many Democrats who have argued that the Pentagon's efforts 
to recognize and attract a diverse workforce are necessary, both to write a history of discrimination and to bolster the armed forces as they struggle to recruit and retain top talent. The House's version of the bill, totaling 886 billion, passed on a vote of 219 to 210, carrying a razor thin Republican majority. Four Democrats voted in favor of the legislation. The outcome sets up a showdown with the Senate, where lawmakers are expected to vote next week on this version of the legislation, which lacks the divisive components pushed by the GOP and the hard right wing. All right, hell of a thing, right? They are literally known for simply taking rights away from people. They want to take your right of access away as it relates to travel. I mean, literally the bill says if a woman wants to travel to a state where it's legal to have an abortion, let's go ahead and prohibit that. Let's prohibit that. Well, that's constitutional in that's a constitutional violation. How? You have the right to mobility. Interstate travel is actually a constitutional right. It's in the constitution, you have a right to it. They are taking rights away. How are they remaining relevant? Because Democrats are sleeping, they're apathetic. They are very good at putting on a show to seem as if they give a damn about the rights being taken away. But when you look at what actually is done, who pushes the needle? Who thinks outside of the box? Who comes up with creative ways to still execute good policy? Not the left, or at least not those in charge on the left. Jeff, thoughts? So, okay. An internal Defense Department survey obtained by NBC News found that more than half of the young Americans who answered the survey, about 57%, think they would have emotional or psychological problems after serving in the military. Nearly half think they would have physical problems. So like, I don't know, ensure healthcare or mental health resources for soldiers, a little bit better, bolstering that up. But here's what I wanna know from you actually, Dr. Richie. Is that the strategy? Have I been missing this the whole time to where the GOP is making people tired and the Democrats aren't engaged enough to know what the heck is going on? So they tire the Dems in order for them to ignore something that could possibly bolster US military recruitment like healthcare and mental health resources. Is that the thing here? Making them tired, I, just exhausting them with nonsense? I think that's part of it. I think it's exhausting them with nonsense, but also getting their um, focus away from the thing that actually creates a remedy. It's called mm. framing the debate. So mm. they will frame a group of principles together and act as if these are the only principles worth talking about or addressing. And usually Democrats fall for it, right? So they'll start talking about what the Republicans want them to talk about rather than talking about the remedy or the solution that is still available for every American. All right, but good observation. Arizona Republican. Eli Crane called us colors. Here it is. My amendment has nothing to do with whether or not colored people or black people or anybody can serve. Okay? It has nothing to do with color Mr. Your Speaker. Skin, your, any of that stuff. What we want to what we want to preserve and maintain is the fact that our military does not become a social experiment. We want the best of the best. We want to have standards that guide who, who's in what unit, what they do. And I'm gonna tell you guys right, right now, 
the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans, they are not, they are not doing this because they want the strongest military possible. I Gentlemen, hope my colleagues on the other side can understand what we're doing. Thank you so much. Mr. Speaker, to be recognized to have the words colored gen- people. For what purposes generally seek recognition? I'd like to be recognized to have the words colored people stricken uh, from the record. I find it offensive and very inappropriate. How did the leadership respond to this? Speaking of Congressman Crane, what is your reaction to his remarks yesterday on the floor referring to African Americans as colored? I know he said that he misspoke, but is that acceptable? That's not acceptable. I'll take him at his word that he misspoke. I have never heard him use that before, so you would have to ask him about that. Unacceptable. Take him at his word. It was a mistake. He misspoke. I never heard him use it before. He typically uses the N word. <laughs> Put up the picture full mass. Representative Eli Crane, Republican out of Arizona, said this on Thursday on the floor. It was a debate over his proposed amendment to an annual defense policy bill again, prompting a stern rebuke from the former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Lawmakers were debating a series of GOP-backed amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act, which the House aims to pass by the end of the week, and they did. Crane said his amendment would prohibit the Defense Department from considering race, gender, religion, political affiliations, or any other ideological concepts as the sole basis for recruiting, training, educating, promoting, or retention decisions. Now, there are some who will say, well, what about the diversity in the military? How many black folk actually serve in the military? We had one senator that thought all white people were, well, white nationalists. And he said, if you get rid of all white people, You're gonna have a problem with the US military. Well, sir, all white people are not white nationalists, all right? Only white nationalists are white nationalists. Put up the diversity breakdown. Diversity has long been one of the military's strength, actually. 22% of enlisted armed forces members are black. 22% are black. There you have it. Let me tell you why it's important to know how a person thinks about a particular demographic. When he said the word colored, that meant something, okay? It's an antiquated term, obviously. It has been utilized by racist people in modern context. It was more acceptable decades ago, but more enlightened minds emerged. If he believes that it is okay to refer to any group, in a derogatory manner, it is also the conscious and subconscious that guides his bias when it comes to creating policy. This is why these things are important. It gives you an understanding of the genesis of his proclaimed policy initiatives. It tells you where it comes from. All right, dear brother, thoughts here. So Speaker McCarthy said that he never heard Representative Crane use that terminology before. And I was looking at the quote again. He said colored people first. My amendment has nothing to do with whether or not colored people or black people. 
for somebody who doesn't use that terminology, he sure did go right forward in the beginning. That's right. And now I made the mistake of going on Twitter. It's it's a hellscape. But now there's the debate between the usage of colored people and people of color as if those are interchangeable, uh-huh. as if the year is not 2023. But yeah, here we are. This is one of those situations where you have to take into consideration the messenger as well. All right. Uh, Hell of a thing, Charlie Kirk, well, he had this to say about mm, affirmative action. Here it is. You really have to wonder, in fact, you know, if if we would have said three weeks ago, Blake, if we would have said that Joy Reid and Michelle Obama and Sheila Jackson Lee and Katanji Brown Jackson were affirmative action picks, we would have been called the racist. But now they're coming out and they're saying it for us. They're coming out and they're saying, I'm only here because of affirmative action. Yeah, we know. You do not have the brain processing power to otherwise be taken really seriously. You had to go steal a white person's slot to go be taken somewhat seriously. I encourage everyone to Google my debate with Charlie Kirk. And at the end of that debate, you tell me who had the greatest ability to process data in their minds. Okay, let's put up the picture of Michelle Obama, former first lady and Charlie Kurt next to each other. I'm going to highlight a few elements in this story. There's a lot of propaganda about affirmative action and obviously Charlie Kurt is unaware that if a person is recruited based upon a diversity program, call it affirmative action, Uh, They are already qualified to Mm. be at the institution. I've been a college professor since 2016. I've been a college administrator for three years and running. You set the requirements for entry. That requirement does not change with racial background. They have to meet the requirements first. And then, only then, Once they are academically and otherwise qualified, they are able to have a diversity protocol in the recruitment process. So this whole idea that people who are black or people who arrived at an institution given their strong stance on diversity were unqualified is simply not true. It is a lie that comes from people like Charlie Kirk. But I would like to ask Charlie Kirk, how does he feel about Clarence Affirmative Action Thomas? Who got into Yale Law School because of affirmative action? Yeah, now he talked about intellect. Let's go ahead and go there, sir. By the sixth grade, Michelle Obama was taking classes in a school's gifted program. That's because she had a high IQ where she learned French and completed accelerated courses in biology. She went on to attend Whitney M. Young Magnet School, the city's first magnet high school for gifted children, Charlie, because she had a high IQ, where among other activities, she served as the student government treasurer. In 1981, Michelle graduated from the school as class salutatorian. Um, I'm sure that is not on your resume, dear sir. There's more following in her older brother's footsteps. 
Michelle Obama then attended Princeton University, graduating cum laude 1985 with a BA in sociology. She went on to study law at Harvard Law School, where she took part in demonstrations calling for the enrollment and hiring of more minority students and professors. She was awarded her Juris Doctor to degree in 1988. What's Charlie's educational background? Charlie Kirk dropped out of community college. That's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, at 18, uh, Kirk took classes at Harper College, a local community college, but subsequently dropped out. Uh, and according to him, to pursue a life in conservative activism as a quasi-politician. Thus, Kirk does not have any formal college education. He has, however, mentioned that his dream school was the United States Military Academy at West Point, of which he was denied admission. Kirk claims that he was that this was because his slot went to a far less qualified candidate of a different gender and a different persuasion. Essentially, he blamed affirmative action possibly why he now opposes it so much. Let's put up the picture of both again. All right. Mark Twain once said, Dear brother, it's better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid. Then open it and remove all doubt. End quote. I mean, damn. A mediocre white male named Charlie Kirk had the audacity to say out loud Michelle Obama and others who are way more educated than he would ever be, that somehow their education came because, well, Somebody just gave it to them. They don't have computing ability in their brains. It's amazing, isn't it? This person probably actually thinks this stuff, okay? He probably really believes it. I know he spews it, but he may have actually drunk the Kool-Aid on this one. Charlie Kirk, um, I feel, you know, I need to tell you something, right? You're not a mental giant, sir. Uh, I would love to debate you again. It was really, you know, a fascinating opportunity to engage. I welcome you back to debate before the year is out. I ask that you accept it quickly. Jeff, thoughts? He would never question the legitimacy or the merit of any of Trump's wives. Meanwhile, Joy <laughs> Reid, Katanji Brown Jackson, Michelle Obama, Sheila Jackson Lee, and Dr. Jill Biden are titans in their own worlds. What is he talking about? The mediocrity. I just, there's so many things that I refuse to talk about as a political commentator because I'm like, well, that's not my thing. But if I had that confidence of this mediocre man, I could do, well, I was about to say anything, but I can just run my mouth and get yeah. destroyed during the bullpen <laughs> on <laughs> Dr. Richie's show. Indisputable. Damn. But yes. And I was nice to Charlie too. I mean, look at the, the video. I'm encouraging people to go find it. It's on YouTube and Facebook watching. Yeah. I've seen you know. it. Yeah. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Stamps. You know, we just stopped taking food stamps. We don't anymore. You don't have enough money or what? 
say right now. How does how's my old man look on you? Is it is it real? Oh, better be. <laughs> it better be. Okay, so Budweiser. Truly, Bud. Thank you. Want to do another tea? You did the twisted tea. You know what? Tea. You know what? Yeah, give me the tea. Okay. That's four, right? Yeah. So okay. now you're good. So okay. twenty-two is the total. I owe you twenty-eight. What do you want back? A dollar? Yeah, yeah. I think that's too much. Too much? No change? Okay, 25. See, that some bitch almost blew away? See, that means it's meant to be for me. Well, it's going to be for you. Okay, there you go. There you go. You have a I good one. I appreciate it. And thank it. you for being have out here Have a good today. one. Bye, thank guys. You. You. So you guys are buying two, but when you buy three, you get one free. Should we just stock up? I mean, why not? You're already buying two. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, okay. sure. <laughs> okay. Wild wheat. Okay. Ultra, and then your one more. You want to do two ultras or two wows? A golfer just said, "You're much cuter than the last guy that served us." She has such a, a sweet spirit. Put her up for a mask. Social media erupted after viewing a viral clip of several white golfers shooting side comments to a female worker at their course. While taking their order, one man asked if she took food stamps as a form of payment for his beer. She gracefully engaged in polite banter and dodged the alleged microaggression with humor. TikTok content created and part-time golf course drink cart worker Zalaya Nuhwani was on the job and filming her day at the job, she had done it before, but this day a group of white men seemed to wanna to get a little cheeky with their remarks. In the clip, which has received close to two million views, a white golfer is asking the black woman, do you take food stamps? She answered quickly, you know we just stopped taking food stamps. We don't do it anymore. You don't have enough money or what? It was very, very classic. I just wanna say there are multiple ways to disarm aggression and that's one of them, all right? Well done, hey, you had to go through that. It is um, insane that this still happens, but gracefully played. Jeff thoughts. He didn't deserve that class. He deserved yeah. it. He deserved to have that iced tea twisted up his behind. <laughs> right. That's right. All right. We have breaking news: thirty-nine billion dollars in student loan debt forgiven. Put it up, Joe Biden. Somebody's trying to get reelected. According to CNBC, <laughs> the Biden administration announced Friday it would automatically forgive $39 billion in student debt for over 800,000 individuals in this country. The result or the relief is a result of fixes to the student loan systems, income driven repayment plans. Under those repayment plans, those who borrowed, they get any remaining debt canceled can get it canceled by the government after they have made payments for 20 or 25 years, depending on what they borrowed and their loan and plan type. The announcement comes weeks after the Supreme Court struck down the Joe Biden sweeping student loan forgiveness plan, which would have delivered relief for about 37 million individuals. The education department would notify eligible individuals in the coming days. This, this is still, a drop in the you know bucket, it's boom, it doesn't solve the problem. Affordability of higher education is the problem. Uh, massive student loan debt is the problem because the government enhanced the problem that you see today. These things are 
able to be fixed. And Biden, well, he feels restricted by the US Supreme Court. Um, there are some other creative ways he could do this. Uh, the Secretary of Education has the ability to simply not collect debt that's due. All right, that's another way that has not been explored fully. All right, Jeff, thoughts? People are saying that Biden is thwarting Supreme Court ruling, but we know from the Supreme Court that they just want some of his billions. Shout out to Clarence Thomas. Exactly. Can we get at least one billionaire to buy? Anyway, the bullpen today, we have James Chernowski, who is the senior tech and innovation policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. We're gonna chop it up about AI and regulation of artificial intelligence. He is a deregulation guy. I'm a, well, I consider myself a common sense regulation guy. James, thank you for being on Indisputable. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. So James, I don't want to presume what you know or believe about the regulation of AI. So if you would give us your sentiment and I will then opine. Yeah, absolutely. I think artificial intelligence is an extraordinarily promising technology. It has the ability to transform multiple industries of our economy, as well as open up creative opportunities for individuals that are operating inside the United States and around the world. So I think that there's a lot of positives. I'm not gonna pretend that it's all sunshine and rainbows. I do recognize that there are in fact some risks with this promising technology. But I think that a lot of the rhetoric that surrounds those risks has been overblown and in many ways mischaracterized and in some sense is a little bit unrealistic. And it's not that I'm a, an anti-regulations guy. I am definitely, as you would say, a common sense regulations person. I think that if we have good regulations that set up good rules of the road, then we can actually actually support and not stifle this very promising technology that can definitely, I think, unleash a whole new industrial revolution in the United States and really offer up a lot of opportunities for everybody. What regulations do you agree with as it relates to artificial intelligence in America? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think that honestly, in some ways, it's a little too early to go and be prescriptive with what kinds of regulations might need to apply specifically to AI. What I would say is that there's this misconception that the AI as we know it is this wild west. And that's not necessarily true. And don't just take my word for it, take the government's word for it. The FTC, the DOJ, the EOCC, the CFPB, they all released a joint statement stating that they would go and enforce existing laws and regulations against companies that were using this technology. And I think that that's right. There are existing rules that are on the book that these companies have to go and abide by if they're gonna be using yeah. this product. So there's not, that's, I think, a little bit of a misstatement in its own right. And I think that if we are going to have unique regulation tailored to AI, it needs to be basically focused on the actual identifiable harms and mitigating them in as narrowly tailored way as possible to make sure that we're not accidentally stifling the technology and its growth and progress. Gotcha. Well, listen, James, I'm not, I'm not a technology expert like yourself, but I do study and I do read and I do comparative analysis and I have an analytical mind. So the organizations that you just listed who provided a joint statement in reference to the utilization of AI inside of corporations in particular, they also mentioned that AI must be regulated in order to prevent bias and discrimination, noting that facial recognition software has been found to be less accurate as it relates to people of color. Mm -hmm. They also cited that ensuring transparency and accountability is required because AI systems can be complex and opaque, 
making it difficult for individuals and organizations to understand how they are actually making the decisions and the process thereof. Those agencies also said you have to protect privacy. That's another dynamic of regulation because AI relies on vast amounts of information, which can include personal information such as our location, our search history, and our online behavior. These things are present today. So I don't think it is premature to start prescribing variables of potential regulatory dynamics when we already see the problems right now. And I will also add that over 54, right at 54%, 54.3% of Americans are in favor of Congress passing laws to provide regulation to AI. That's based on the latest poll by the oversight, the tech oversight project. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things that we can go and push back on there. I think that to the point of facial recognition technology, that's absolutely fair. But I do think that the context matters insofar as that that facial recognition technology is being utilized by the government in some instances. And that's where your minority statistic is where I completely agree with you. And that's that's something where you want to have auditing to make sure that there's accuracy and we're not. But going that's not it. Wait a minute, James. The government does not have exclusive license to facial recognition AI based technology. Private no, entities do as no, well. That's not what I'm saying though, okay. I'm saying that there's a the, the, the potential for harm is different between how a company might be using facial recognition technology versus how the government's using it. Because again, with that minority differentiation point that you're highlighting, that that is something where if the government's using that technology, the harm is very real because of that disparate impact. So I think- Why do you think it's not real? For a private company, then that's not what I said them. either. Okay, I just said that the, the harms themselves are just different by nature, and that there is something that is unique to the government aspect. That I think is worth focusing on, and for can you explain that to me? That I think that those harms are there, but there are different kinds of best practices and other things that we can pursue. Okay, there. well, explain it to me. Explain why there's such a massive difference between the government utilizing the same technology and private companies utilizing that technology. Well, the difference is is what the what the downside of the negative cost is. If a government misuses facial recognition technology like they did in, let's say, Michigan, uh, to go and identify a person who robbed the watch store, then all of a sudden they use facial recognition on, I believe it was like 420p quality video to go and identify the guy. He was also a minority, and therefore he was mis misidentified by that. But that was that facial recognition technology being used was the premises of why law enforcement went after that person. And that is actually a much more serious harm in my James, opinion than some of those other things. I understand, things. Let, me, let me just remind you, do you know what cameras they used in order to affix the racial, the AI to the racial profile or the identity of the person? I don't know the, the specific camera, no. Okay, these were private commercial entities sure. that were affixed directly to law enforcement agencies. In other words, these private companies became yeah. the eyes and the ears of law enforcement by way of volunteering into the program. Yes. So you have a public partner, a public private partnership yeah. in the apprehension of the wrong individual. And you already see the application is dangerous by way of private company and public operation, dear brother. It is, you but literally made my point just now. Yeah, but my point is that that's why you need to go and regulate the use of how law enforcement is gonna be accessing that technology if it's going to happen. Because that cost is very real and disparate and is something that we should want to avoid because it undermines trust in the underlying institution. I don't wanna get caught up on that particular issue because I know that you raised some other points. When it comes to the privacy 
side of the equation for AI. Again, I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't think that it's something that is mutually exclusive to AI. I think that this is something where Congress has been lacking for years. And I would welcome a conversation of actually getting substantive federal consumer data privacy legislation done. Because it's not just AI, that's really, I think, it's an inappropriate focus there. And I guess the other aspect that I think is where this conversation gets misled with AI is that right now, that conversation, especially from Congress and the President, um, and some other individuals has been focused on the fact that, oh, there was this perceived failure to do something about social media and Section 230. And now that there's this new opportunity with AI, this equally transformational um, technology, that we should be doing something there. And I think that that's the wrong way to be, you know, couching this conversation because what you're doing there is you're basically imposing the problems that are associated with social media onto a new and emerging technology that's fundamentally different like AI. And I don't think that that's helpful. I think that that actually distracts away from the conversations that we need to have around AI yeah. and lets us get distracted into more partisan kinds of conversations that don't actually let us make I actually agree here. with that point. And James, I read your commentary about the basically conflation mm -hmm. of social media and AI. I agree with that point. Uh, that's why I didn't bring it up as a point of dissension because I do think these are very different technologies and very different applications. But I will say this, um, I'm currently a law student, all right? So I'm learning things about application of law that are emerging given case law that's coming out. Mm -hmm. So we used to have very simple definitions of libel and slander. Technology mm -hmm. has kind of changed that. Is this a written thing? Is this a said thing? When it comes to AI, what if somebody develops an AI technology? See, we're not talking about things that look real. We're talking about realism. We're talking about things that appear absolutely authentic, not things that just seem realistic to us. Mm -hmm. And that particular AI technology puts, let's say, you or me in a compromising situation. It seems or appears that we are acting in a particular way. We've already seen it happen at the presidential level, mm -hmm. but that becomes an issue. For an everyday citizen who is private, meaning their protections are fully intact. Right now, AIs, you know, people that do this, they're doing the AI technology around famous people. They don't have the same protections inside of court, et cetera, et cetera. But to a private citizen, that could be very dangerous. Would you agree with AI technology being judged under, under the same premise that we currently have for slander and libel in the United States court system? Not necessarily, insofar as that I think AI is pulling in from all the information that's on the internet. And yeah. if we're thinking about in the forms of um, libel law and defamation law, I think that I don't know where you stand on this, but as a person who certainly has seen the power of powerful people leveraging the tort system to go and silence people that use dissent, I wouldn't necessarily want to engage in opening up the libel books in that sense, because then you might you know, be undermining expressive activity. And also, I think when we're looking at defamation law, particularly with public figures, and you have to demonstrate the actual malice. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to bring the suit, but okay. I think that you wouldn't be able to see success either, is what well, I would imagine, wait, because wait a minute, you can't James. demonstrate actual malice. Let's, let's, open, let's open this up a little bit. Sure. All right, somebody makes a video using AI technology, okay? Yeah. It seems very real. It, it doesn't seem to be a distinction between realistic and real. Mm -hmm. So it seems very real. It paints a private citizen in a very negative way. Mm -hmm. It is done to harm them. It has malicious intent behind it, which isn't even required technically. You are saying that you don't think that is something that the person who has been harmed should be able to bring to a court and say, this should not happen to me. Well, no, I think that that's something that they would bring against the individual, not the tool. The tool itself is neutral. 
right? I think that that's, that's where I would have that differentiation, right? I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to bring a suit. If okay. they, I'm saying if they tried bringing a suit against the, the underlying AI tool, that that would probably not be successful because of the public figure status if it's someone like you or me. No, 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 not public figure. I'm, I'm saying private citizen to be specific in the application of the yeah, standard. I, I would okay. still go and say that you don't want them bringing the lawsuit against the company. It's about the person who executed the tool to actually create the harm. You know, let me tell you why you that's, an interesting, that's an interesting point of view. Because yeah. if an individual utilizes a private product, a product from a private company, sure. and they are able to utilize it based on its functioning parameters, meaning it is manufactured or produced to do these things. And you engage in doing what it says is able to do, and that engagement harms another person. Guess what? The manufacturer is liable because the manufacturer created a product that explicitly said, here's what you can do. In other words, if there's an iron that's created that says, and if you if you want to, you know you can burn people with it. It's a, it's a, you're allowed to do that. And you go out and burn people with this iron. Well, the iron is supposed to be for clothes on a ironing board, but it's manufactured to do more. I'm in a hypothetical sense at this point. It's manufactured to do more and it tells you what else it can do. And you go out and do what it says it's manufactured to do. Guess what happens in the court deal, brother? You are held liable for doing it and the manufacturer is held liable for telling you to do it. You don't get the point? I mean, I understand what you're going at there and like a product design liability That's structure. correct, design liability is what it's called. Yes, yes, and I understand that. And again, I don't. So you think agree that, with yes, me? I don't think that that's necessarily something that you would want to apply there because there's other chilling effects that would actually undermine Wait a minute. that technology, Come on, brother. I, yeah, no. Again, Design. like it's, it, it's not the same thing as like Lemon v. Snap, where they went and created a speed filter that somebody used, and then there was a harm that was tied to that, and you want to sue the company because they they put that feature in there. That's not the same thing. Whenever you're using, let's say, ChatGPT or Google Bard, it goes and it blatantly tells you it's an experiment. It's not necessarily going to produce accurate results, etc. It's a neutral tool, and well, if somebody goes and uses it in a way that generates harm, you okay. should be able to bring suit against the person. I'm not saying that again, you couldn't bring it against the company. I'm just saying as a matter of fact as to whether or not you'd be successful, that's still unproven waters. And if I was gonna estimate, I would say that I wouldn't be surprised if they would fail because that bar is so much higher. There's just, there's a lot of stuff that goes into making those systems. And I think that we would wanna be very careful about opening up liability on such nebulous grounds. Man, even, well, let me tell you, it's not, it's, not nebulous. There. it's not nebulous grounds at all, dear sir. You sound as if you would rather protect artificial intelligence than authentic intelligence being human beings. But no. we're out of time, I will bring you back on the show. It is a fascinating debate, I gotta tell you that. We we definitely need to have more time next time, talk about it in That's fuller true. terms. But I do appreciate your stance on some of these things because I think we definitely need to have a more nuanced conversation rather than polarized conversation. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely, anytime, thanks for having me. Thank you, sir, appreciate your time. All right, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always, indisputable.